Last week, we looked at John chapter 3 and verse number 6. Uh, we saw, uh, looked a little more in depth about what is the flesh and what is the spirit and how we should live our lives because of that. Uh, today, we're going to continue on with uh, Jesus' explanation to Nicodemus and um, see where, what else he has to say. Uh, so, John chapter 3 and verse number 7 says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot, canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak what we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Let's pray and take a look at some of these heavenly things. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this glorious day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here in your house, Lord, uh, to gather around your word. I pray, Lord, that it would not go out void, that it would return uh, into our hearts and it would grow and, and take root and mold us and shape us into the men and women that you'd have us to be. Lord, I pray that we would see uh, today, the way of the Master, Lord, the way that you reached out and witnessed, the way that you uh, taught. And I just pray that, Lord, we would use that in our lives as we go out and begin to witness in the community, as we uh, prepare for these bigger events, Lord, that we would understand the way that you do things and that we would mimic it and that we would see the results that you did. So God, please guide and direct, uh, speak through me today. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, the first thing that we see in these verses is um, Jesus begins to talk about the wind. Uh, oddly fitting for today. Uh, but there are some things that we need to understand about the wind. Uh, the wind bloweth. Christ says, the wind bloweth where it listeth. Where it listeth. Sorry, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Everyone on earth believes in the wind. We can't see it, but we see its evidence. Uh, we see the leaves rustle, we hear the sound, we feel it on our face. We know it's there. We don't know where it came from, and we don't know where it's going, but we know which direction it's heading. And this strikes home for me a little bit as uh, I know I've told you my testimony many times or a few times at least some of you more times than others but as a young man uh, as a, a teenager and, and even lower I didn't believe in God um, I was what they would call an agnostic I believed that um, because you couldn't go and there was no physical evidence of God that God didn't exist um, now I, I believe that there could possibly be a higher power but I didn't believe that it was the God that everybody talked about. I was focused more on the science. And yet, in all of that, I could see the evidence of God, but I didn't believe it. I chose not to. Um, just in learning about uh, our DNA and why we are the way we are. Um, if you've ever seen a picture of me and my biological father, there's no mistaking that I'm his child. Um, I sat down when I was about 13 years old and had to do a, a genealogy, and um, I had to do a, a gene chart for why I have blue eyes. And if you don't, if you know anything about 
genes, there's a dominant gene and there's a recessive gene. Well, the color blue is a recessive gene. The color green is actually the dominant gene in that pair. Um, so for me to have blue eyes meant that my parents both had to have blue eyes because if one of them had green, then there was a very high chance that I would have ended up with green eyes because green is the dominant gene. Um, so obviously my father and my mother both have blue eyes and obviously my wife and I both had blue eyes. Uh, Melissa had blue eyes before she passed away because all of my kids have blue eyes. Um, it, it is, was not possible for them to have any other color of eyes. So I missed all of the evidence. With the wind, we can see, like I said, we can see the leaves rustling. We can see the flags blowing. Uh, we can pick up grass and let it go and see which direction it's going, but we can't tell where it started. Now, science will tell us that it starts at a cold front and, and it's because of the different temperatures that the wind gets created, but we can't physically see where it starts and we can't physically see where it ends. We think we know what creates it, but we aren't certain. Their theory is that it's created by these cold fronts, by warmer temperatures and colder temperatures mixing together and causing change. And that's their theory. We know that God does all of it, that God allows everything to happen, and ultimately it's His power. But we also don't know the true power or the potential of the wind. Um, we've been playing that game. Wits and wagers, and uh, one of the questions was, you know, what is the the highest recorded ever wind speed in a tornado? And I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was a very very high number uh, in the triple digits. Um, you know, the lowest, the minimum wind wind speed to be a hurricane is seventy five miles an hour, and that is a force that I mean, it blows semis off the road. Um, it, it destroys houses. So, but we still haven't seen the full potential or power. So why is it so easy for us to believe in the wind and even put our faith in it and yet to not believe in God and put our faith in Him, the one who created it? I mean, sailors for hundreds and thousands of years have used the wind to get from point A to point B. We use it to create electricity and perform many other tasks. Um, now I've got... Uh, Don Quixote, I don't know if any of you guys have ever read that book. Um, Don Quixote is a Spanish, uh, <clears throat> was written by a Spanish author, and uh, it's about a, a Spaniard, a conquistador that's old and decrepit, and I'm biting my tongue, sorry. Um, and he goes out and he decides he, he's still got fight left in him, and he decides that he's going he's gonna to fight with a windmill. Um, he, he tips his hat at a windmill is, is one of the famous sayings in the, in the book. But um, the windmill was used, it harnessed the power of the wind to run a millstone to grind the wheat, to grind the flour, to make what they needed to be able to eat. Um, th this is stuff that happens all over the place. Uh, my grandfather, when I was growing up, put in a small windmill to run a pump so that it would make bubbles it would aerate his pond to help kill all of the algae and grass and grossness in the pond to help it be able to sustain life of fish and things like that um, <clears throat> all of this we have all of this evidence and we believe that the wind exists and we believe 
that it has power, but we have exponentially more evidence of God and we believe him even less. Acts 27. Acts 27 should be uh, familiar once we get started in it. And I, I don't want to read the whole chapter, but Acts 27 is the story of Paul on his way to Rome. Um, he's been imprisoned, and now he's going to finally uh, be taken to Rome. So Acts 27 and verse number 1 says, And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. And entering into a ship of Adramidium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And it goes on and on and on, and it talks about his journey. And if we skip down to verse 9, Thirteen says, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught up, was caught, and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And it goes on, and after many days of fighting this fierce wind, they finally find an island. Verse number 38, And when they had all, when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into the which they were minded if it were possible to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoist up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. And falling into the place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves, and the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should escape, should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land, and the rest, some on board and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. This ship, uh, if you know the story, they the. the person sailing the ship refused to believe Paul when he said that the ship was the voyage was going to be of much hurt and as verse number 13 said that when the south winds blew softly that that southerly wind that was going to take them where they were go were going to go it was a nice soft cool breeze sorry a warm breeze coming from the south and it tricked them and then this Eurocladon or what we would call a nor'easter and the wind out of the northeast um, a hurricane came up and they fought and fought and fought to the point where they dropped four anchors out of the ship, which normally one would hold it in place, but they dropped four anchors out of the ship. They tied bands around the rudder so that it wouldn't move, so that the ship would stay put, and they just prayed for the day. They cast everything out of the ship and ended up running it aground, and the ship was broken into pieces because of the wind and the waves. It's this same power, the same wind that Christ often as he goes through when the the disciples are on the sea of Galilee he comes walking on the water and he stills the he stills the storm or they wake him up out of the bottom of the ship and he comes up and he says peace be still it's that wind that God controlled and Jesus is likening 
us, the, those that are saved, those that have the Spirit in us, to that wind. We have that same power in us. Uh, God said that as we, that we would do greater works than even Christ did if we had but the faith of a grain of mustard seed. And Nicodemus can't understand this. In verse number 9, he, said, he answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Christ asked him a very poignant question. He says, Art thou a master of Israel? Now that word master is actually the word rabbi. Remember in verse number 2, Jesus, Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher. Back in John chapter 1 and verse number 38, we see, Then Jesus turned and saw them following. This is, these are the two disciples of John the Baptist that are following Jesus after his baptism. And he says, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where, do, where dwellest thou? Jesus is saying, You call yourself a master. The Israelites call you Rabbi. They look to you. You are a man of education. You're a man that is supposed to know all of this. Remember, Nicodemus is supposed to be a ruler. He's supposed to know, be a master of the things of God. Someone uh, who in view of the rest of the populace is infallible. What they believe the Pope is. And yet as Christ points out, he doesn't know anything. In Luke 18... Luke 18 and verse number 9 says, And he spake this parable unto, unto certain that trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and praised, prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess, and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. 1 Corinthians 10.12 Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And this is a verse that I have to go back to regularly. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Paul is telling the Corinthians, wait a minute, if you think you've got it all figured out, hold on. Because you can fail. Don't let pride come in. You need to humble yourself. Nicodemus is a man who would have been full of pride, but it's obvious that he is seeking answers. He came to Christ by night seeking because he knew there was something different about Christ. He's there with Jesus asking questions. Rather than being a master of Israel, he is more of a babe in the womb. He is humbling himself and seeking the Lord and seeking the Lord's wisdom. Matthew 
Matthew 18, 4 says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Mark 10, 15. Mark 10, 15 says, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And Luke 18, 17. Luke 18, 17 says, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Nicodemus has humbled himself. He understands that there's something lacking and, and Christ is making sure that he truly has humbled his heart. As he begins to explain, Christ goes on in verse number uh, 11. It says, Verily, verily, I send to thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. Now Nicodemus is still a very carnal man. He's still not completely understanding the simple truths that Christ is giving him. And that's the way most people will be. We will speak and we will testify, but will they hear? We speak what we do know. That's a heart knowledge. That's a knowledge of, of things that, that are infallible, that cannot be changed in us. My heart knowledge is that this King James Bible is the absolute Word of God. That it should be my absolute authority. My heart knowledge is that I have called upon the name of the Lord and I am now saved. That I have placed my faith and trust in Him and He has saved my soul. He has cleansed me from all unrighteousness. He has covered me in His righteousness. And I will one day spend eternity with Him in heaven. We speak what we do know. And we testify what we have seen. Christ is Speaking of the miracles that he's done, he's, his disciples will go through and, and show all of the wonderful things that Christ has done. And we, must, we shouldn't be any different. I have seen so many things in my life, and, I, and I've, I've shown you all many of the things. Uh, you, you've heard the stories of our time on the road, of, of the time with my wife being sick and when she passed away, and everything that God do, has done for me in my life. And, and there's still so many more things. But all of those happen for one specific purpose, the good and the bad. They all happen so that we can glorify God, so we can bring Him honor and glory. And that's only accomplished as we speak those things to the world and show how great God is. 1 Timothy 6, <clears throat> Paul again, now he's writing to Timothy, a young pastor, to encourage him. The last two verses in his first epistle to Timothy, his first letter to Timothy, he leaves him with these, with these words. In verse number 20, O Timothy, keep that which is, is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Second Timothy uh, 2.14 the middle of his second letter to Timothy, he again says, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, 
but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus. He's saying, forget all the fluff. Timothy, speak what you know. Speak what you've experienced. 2 Timothy 4.1 4, 4, I don't know why I turned away. 2 Timothy 4.1 It says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, rebuke exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry. Whether they listen or not, it never changes. Our job is to do the same things over and over again. We are to speak what we know and testify of what we have seen. But they receive not our witness. We have to remember as we teach that indecision is still a decision and it's not just for salvation. As you read the Word of God, as you pray, and as you hear the preaching of the Word of God and God begins to work in your heart and He begins to prick your heart about certain things... Indecision is still a decision. If you don't make the conscious choice to follow what God is guiding you to do, you're making the conscious choice to disobey Him. You can't just have a head knowledge. There are so many people out there that have just a head knowledge of the Word of God. And they'll... Christ says at the last day they'll come to him and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done our done mighty works in your name? Have we not cast out devils in your name? Have we not taught in your name? Have we not done these great and mighty things in your name? And he will say, depart from me for I never knew you. They had a knowledge in their head of what God said, but they didn't have it in their heart and use it in their own lives. We understand I understand in my own life there are many things in this book that I know what it says but it hasn't quite sunk in yet. It hasn't quite taken root in my own heart and began to change me. We have to have that heart knowledge. It's that heart knowledge that leads us to the confession of what Christ has done for us. It's that heart knowledge that leads us to go out and do instead of just hear. The Bible says, Be ye doers of the word and not just hearers only. That only comes from a true heart knowledge of what Christ has done for you. And then Jesus goes on to tell Nicodemus, If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He's saying, I've given you the earthly things. I've given you the simple things. 
And if you can't believe them, I'm not going to go on to tell you the, the heavenly things. What are earthly things or heavenly things? If you can't believe the milk, how can you understand the meat? 1 Peter 2 and verse number 1. It says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be, be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Babes desire the sincere milk. They understand that that milk will help them to grow. 1 Corinthians 3 Babes understand the simple things. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 1 again. And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Paul to the Corinthians is saying, I, I've taught you the simple things and you're refusing to understand them. I'm not going to give you more. Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5 says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity and by reason hereof he ought as for the people so also for himself to offer for sins. No man taketh his honor unto himself but he that is called of God as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest but he that said unto him thou art my son today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard, and that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. The strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, I read all of that about Christ, understanding that Christ started as a baby. He was born of a virgin. He started as a baby. He was brought up on his mother's milk. At 12 years old, we find him in the temple uh, disputing with the, the doctors. 
It wasn't until he was baptized and began to follow the direction of God that God truly began to work in him and began to lay out everything that he was supposed to do. That's when he, his earthly ministry began. And as he followed, he continued to get more and more and more. He was faithful in the little things. You have undoubtedly heard the saying that you must learn to walk before you can run. This is true, especially in the Lord. You must be faithful in the little things in order to be given greater things. Matthew 25, uh, verses 20 through 30. Matthew 25 is, uh, has the parable of the talents. This is the, uh, the scripture that God used to call me into the building ministry. Um, he showed me that he had taught me all these things for so many years and I wasn't using them for him. And this is still part of the scripture that is guiding the way our ministry is going to look as we continue on. Um, this is why I'm going to be a working pastor because I still have all of those gifts and talents that I'm supposed to be using. But in Matthew 5, 25, verse number 20, it says, And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. And his Lord said unto them, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. But verse number 24, Then he had, which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that I knew thee that thou art a an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. And his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke uh, 19. Luke 19 is a very similar story. Luke 19 and verse number 15 says, And it came to pass that when he was returned, the, the ruler has returned, he, he has left his kingdom and he's returned now. When he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept, laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man, thou takest up that thou laidest not down, and reapest thou that thou didst not sow. 
And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest now thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to them, give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto, Lord, unto, unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath, shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. The Lord in these both of these parables had given men responsibilities. He'd given them uh, money. He'd given them talents and pounds. And he expected them to use what they had been given. He expected them to be faithful to his cause. Not their own. To his cause. Christ has given us so much. Just in my own life, he's for over 30 years, he's taught me how to do every form of construction, every, uh, every trade that's out there I've learned how to do. I've not learned them all to be an expert, but I've learned how to do them and how to be a blessing in them. And he expects me to use those gifts. He's taught me how to read, how to study, how to write, how to speak, and he expects me to use those gifts. But he expects me to use them for his purpose, for his honor and for his glory, not for mine own. If you refuse to be faithful in the milk, your destination is determined. Those men that refused to be faithful in what their Lord had given them were cast out into outer darkness. Everything that, was, that they had been given was taken away. Those are those that uh, have been given everything and the Lord says, depart from me for I knew you not. You see, the whole world has been given the gift of Christ. We haven't gotten to John 3.16 yet, but it said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse number 15, That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse number 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The world, the world, the world, whosoever. Everyone has been given the same opportunities and the same talents. But are we using them? Again, we go back to the, the last part of our third point was indecision is still a decision. If you choose not to use what God has given, you're choosing to disobey and to walk away from what God is doing, or from what from the God that gave it to you. We understand Christ spent very little time debating with those who did not believe. Um, the Proverbs talk a lot about how to deal with fools. And without going into all of it, they basically say, Let a fool be a fool. Don't waste your breath. We do see him in the temple at 12 years old debating with the doctors and that's pretty much it. Everywhere else we see him with an unbeliever. He is telling them truth and only truth. Here in our text he tries to explain to Nicodemus 
what he must do to be saved. And he sees Nicodemus' heart and understands that he is lacking in faith. That Nicodemus isn't willing to take the leap at this point to understand the simple, sincere milk of the word. We must strive to be like Christ in everything we do, and this includes our witnessing of and for the Lord. The basics are to tell what we know and testify of our experience. So as we begin our market outreach, we must be like the wind, pushing in the direction of the Lord, showing our evidence and our faith so that people can follow it to Him. We must first be faithful in the little things and learn to use them skillfully before He will give us more. I struggled for years. I I knew from the time that I was saved that I had been called to preach. Now, there's a difference between preaching and pastoring. We've all been called to preach. We've all been called to speak of Christ. And I knew that that was my calling. It took me 2007 to 2020... 2019, 2020. So it took me 13 years to understand that he wants me to pastor. Not because I didn't believe, but because I had a lot of growing to do. And God, in his grace and his mercy, took me in so many different directions. He closed the church in southern Iowa and moves us to Sioux City and... uh, had us understand what that evil and wickedness could even be in an independent Baptist church. And then he brought us back here and and healed us and, and made us whole again and began to teach and prepare us. And then he took us on the road into the building ministry to teach us how to use the gifts and talents that he'd given us, not just for us, but for him. And as we followed those steps in obedience, he began to work and show and reveal more light and finally revealed that he wanted us to pastor. He wanted me to be a pastor. Then he took me to Missouri and began to teach me there what it is to be a pastor. To not just be a preacher, to not just be a teacher, but to be a pastor. And he began to shave off the rough edges and fill in the cracks. And now he's brought us here. And there's still a lot of rough edges and there's still a lot of cracks that need to be filled in. But as we as a group continue to just faithfully take one step after another, another following his, his desires, His will for us, as we continue to step out in faith and do what we know He's told us to do and speak what we know and testify of what we've experienced, then he'll give us more. This is just a small church now. It's not even a church yet. But it can still make a huge difference. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I I completely believe that if revival can start here, if we can truly get a hold of the truth of God's word and we can use it and it will change us, then we can change this town, we can change this county, we can change this state, this country, and begin to change the world from right here.
the faith of a grain of mustard seed can move mountains. God can do, can do it still. And He wants to. He doesn't want any to perish. Verse number 17 of John 3, verse 17 says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He didn't send His Son to condemn it. He sent it to save it. So let's walk like the Master. Let's use and understand the simple things so that He can teach us the heavenly things. So that we can grow and we can take the meat and we can pass it on.